I'm Reverend Markel Hutchins, Chairman and CEO of Movement Forward Incorporated and a civil and human rights leader based in Atlanta, Georgia. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the controversial topic of race relations, Black Lives Matter, defund the police, and what white Americans should be doing to make a difference on these issues. This is an important discussion you don't want to miss. Welcome back. We're in part two of this amazing conversation with the Reverend Markel Hutchins, uh, who is a noted minister and social justice advocate. National Faith and Blue Weekend was the, the most collaborative police community engagement project in American history. He's the guy who put it together. Tom Smith, he's a co-founder of Taser International. He is now currently the president and acting CEO of Rap Technologies uh, about scaling domestic and international sales of the Bowler Wrap, which we're going to talk a little bit about in a moment because it is a fan, just a phenomenal technology that is changing a lot of things. In the part, in the first part of the show, we talked about what are some of the challenges we're facing today in uh, what it is that maybe uh, might be some of the challenges in uh, police enforcement. We talked about how. Uh, there's really a lack of training at a level of, uh, as the Reverend talked about, training the hearts, not just the hands or the feet of a, of a police officer. So now we want to talk about this technology, which I think is really quite fascinating um, as to what it is and how it's working. Uh, in the first part, Tom, we talked about uh, bowler wrap, but we haven't really told anybody what it is or how it works. And, and moreover, how it would work in a situation where today, uh, as, as we speak, people are being killed um, due to an adrenal response of an officer or of the person being shot. Talk to us a little bit about what bowler wrap is and how it would best be used. Sure. So it is a handheld device. It's about the size of your cell phone. And due to everything we've been talking about stress response, we had to make it simple to operate. Mm. So there's basically three parts to it. There's a cartridge that's snapped into the front of it and that contains an eight foot Kevlar tether. So when it's deployed, that shoots out of the front of the device, it goes a distance of 10 to 25 feet that wraps around the subject with, a, with this cord or cable like Spider-Man's web or Batman's cord that restrains them. We don't do anything that hurts the individual in terms of design. Like it's not putting electricity in the body. It's not putting chemical in their face. It is designed simply to think of throwing handcuffs from a distance. Uh, you take a safety on it and then you literally, it's got a line laser so you know right where you're aiming and then you press the button and it activates it. It's also not designed to look like a firearm. It's like your TV remote. So you're not up in an aggressive stance, pointing something very aggressive, which automatically is going to escalate a situation mm -hmm. designed for early intervention because we don't use pain compliance. It's the only tool that does not use pain to end that situation. And in fact, we have our some first body cam videos that just got released. And if I can touch on this real quick, because it's really important. Thank you. Everybody, everybody saw that what happened in Philadelphia recently, right? With yes. this person and, and the tragic, tragic ending uh, of shooting and killing that subject. Well, we had a scenario, and again, we're not going to Monday morning quarterback that scenario, but we had a scenario in Florida where a mother called police because her son wanted to die. He was saying, 
so they call it a suicide by cop scenario. Yep. The police to come and shoot him because he had bro- his girlfriend that he was getting ready to propose to cheated on him. So mm. a very young individual, the mom's crying. You hear the officers communicating with them. And as he tries to get away from them, they use a bowler wrap to wrap his legs, get him to the ground, take him into custody. And you can actually see the change in the individual from before his bravado against the police completely not wanting to do anything they said. They used our device, wrapped him. Afterwards, he then started spilling his heart out about why he was in this scenario. The, he, what am I supposed to do? And the whole interaction with the police and the communication, nobody saw that video because it wasn't a, high, it wasn't a tragic scenario video. You, you don't report the planes that land every day, but here a mother did not have to watch the police shoot and kill her son in her driveway, which is what he wanted for an outcome. So that, that, that incident to me, that's the passion. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm working with, with Reverend Markle on your show today is to give those other kind of tools, technology to be available that when you can't have a logical or, or communicative response due to stress and everything else, use something like this to end it early so it doesn't have to end tragically. That is phenomenal. So you're right. Uh, CNN, Fox, or any other major platform are not putting out that stuff. So what what are you doing? I'm, I'm actually putting it on you guys. What are you doing to get that kind of video out there? Because we live in a video responsive world, right? The 15 second TikTok, you know, whatever it is, right? And a 15 second uh, shot of that could dramatically change the the way that people looking at uh, law enforcement could look at the other side of it about, you know, uh, suicide by cop, uh, could look at uh, uh, the, this is the need, what we need as opposed to bloody guns or whatever it is. So what are you doing to get that out there? Both of you, I'm actually challenging both of you on this. Yeah. By the way, I want to say what I want to say is I want that video because I will push it out. I will be. I will send it to you right as soon as we're done. But let me start. We are putting that video out on everything we do. We we do weekly webcasts. We do social media. We do YouTube, and we have contacted Fox and CNN and asked them to put this forward. So from a company perspective, we're doing that. But also, I'm working with Reverend Markle and other community activists that do engage in this and i'm going to ask him to talk about it because what he's doing in addition to what we're doing again there's not one solution to this no you know there's not a magic bullet so to speak that's going to fix this it's us working together so what we're doing is a lot of the social media and pressing it to the media but i think what reverend markle is doing the national faith and blue weekend we were a proud sponsor of that because it's critically important again to the community and i'll let him elaborate on other things that he's doing to make this available because we're in the process of doing that literally right now. We were just talking about this. Fabulous. So the young man in, uh, in Philadelphia, he was 27 year old African-American man who was in crises. He was in emotional and psychological distress. His name is Walter Williams. If Walter Williams had, he would be alive today. If the responding Philadelphia police officers had a bowler wrap, if they had that, option that the officers in Florida that that uh, Tom just referenced in, in, in the body cam video, if those Philadelphia officers had that device, that young man 
uh, Walter Williams in Philadelphia would be alive today. The businesses that have been burned and looted in the aftermath of the riots that took place, uh, that have taken place in Philadelphia, those businesses would not have suffered. The political fallout would not exist, which is why I continue to say it is in all of our interest as community residents, as uh, business leaders, as governmental and law enforcement leaders, it's in all of our interests to make certain that we give our law enforcement professionals every tool and resource they have available. I talked about this a little earlier, uh, Dolph, and that is that I honestly believe that faith-based organizations, churches, synagogues, mosques, uh, there are more faith-based organizations and members of faith-based organizations than any other volunteer or activist uh, group or sector in the United States of America. 65 million Americans attend some faith-based service every week at one of 350,000 houses of worship. That is a great asset and resource that we need to uh, really leverage to put forth these kinds of messages. So one of the things we're doing is in the aftermath of the tragedy in Philadelphia, I will be convening and I've already started the, to organize a meeting of political community and faith leaders in the city of Philadelphia to show them what the bowler wrap device is capable of, to show them what happened in Florida and give them, uh, I've asked Tom and his team to bring in a demonstration crew. We ought to be doing that in communities across the United States of America because it's one thing for there to be a single story on CNN or Fox News that pushes the word out. But when you start local communities and local residents to seeing the value in a device like the Bola Wrap and this kind of approach to de-escalating without pain and without harm, we think that this is something that absolutely is critical from a civil rights perspective, from a human rights or humanitarian perspective, having the bowler wrap device in communities is a real asset. And we're gonna do all that we can from the local grassroots community organizing perspective to get that word out and to really show them in local communities. And we're gonna start in Philadelphia in the aftermath of, of the unfortunate and preventable death of Walter Williams. See, I, I agree that, again, that it needs to be at a local level because we need to create a grassroots movement, no doubt about that. But, you know, if we look at the uh, things like gun law, and we do the, the, the public research on that. Uh, the overriding majority of people want gun restriction. They don't want gun banned, but they want gun restriction. It's never going to move through. It's never going to move through the houses of power um, because there's, the money in politics is a problem. Um, and so this is what concerns me is, you know, there's a bigger piece here that I want to get into, uh, which is, as you talked about, Reverend, um, which is the, the protests slash riots. There is the impact of that. There is the frustration of people who feel like, you know, I was in a previous conversation I had here with, an, with a, um, a friend of mine who's an African-American we were talking about, and he said, yeah, you know what? I do understand the I do understand the riots, and I said, "Yeah, I, I, I'm 
I'm not a man of color. Um, I, I am married to a person of color. I get it, but I don't get it. And we watched the Chicago, uh, Chicago seven the other night and we had to turn it off halfway through because my wife just was crying. Cause she said, Oh my God, this is still going on today. The problem is a systemic problem. We've got a problem with, with, uh, with law enforcement, we've got a problem with incarceration, we've got a problem with the justice system, we've got a problem with money and politics. I get the importance, please do not misunderstand in any way. I yes. get the importance and I am fully supportive of Bola Rap and what it can do and how it can save it. What I'm concerned about, what I'm really curious about is how do we get it across the line when there are so much that it actually benefits financially, excuse me, the shit. Like there's a lot of people benefiting from the crappy stuff um, who to me, it's sociopathic, but they are. And so, you know, I'm pretty passionate about like, how do we move this across the line when there's so much, like we have corporate prisons. We have black people and, and people of color in prison for stupid things for 15 years. I mean, you know, like that is what drives me nuts. And I'm really looking for solutions and what you what you guys have to say around this. First thing is we have to do it one community at a time. Second thing is we have to recognize that we've never, humanity has never lost a fight that we actually fought. One of the things we have to do is continue to fight, to continue to advocate, continue to work and move the needle, no matter how seemingly insurmountable the task ahead is. I think you're right. And, and that's not just unique and germane to this space. Money in politics is probably the source of, of the biggest source of corruption and what I would consider to be humanitarian evil in our world. But we can sit on the sidelines and lament the way things are, or we can work and advocate and fight to make things better. So I, I totally agree. There are too many guns on the streets of the United States of America, but until and, until and unless we're able to defeat the gun lobby and bring some of those things into more reasonable uh, equations in terms of gun ownership and the types of guns and regulations, we have to continue to work. And, that, and what that looks like for me is making sure that if we're going to have so many people in America have guns, we've got to also have some alternatives. So I think what politics and political advocacy requires in this moment is a level of sophistication and nuanced approach to the challenges that we face. So that's what I mean. Every law enforcement professional that has a gun ought to also have a body camera. They ought to also have a bola wrap. So they have these less than lethal or non-lethal alternatives and we are able to see it. They are able to see it for themselves uh, once the situation is over that they might learn from it, that their colleagues might learn from it. But I don't think we can be weary in well-doing. Imagine if Dr. King, and the generation that marched with him. As you all know, I was very close to Coretta Scott King and have been mentored by Hosea Williams and Joseph Lowry and Andrew Young and John Lewis and the list goes on and on of those who worked very closely with Dr. King. And I've just been fascinated, although I frankly was born a decade after Dr. King was killed, but I'm just fascinated every chance I get to hear from them how difficult they 
uh, the moments were that they faced. Mrs. King talked about having J. Edgar Hoover send tapes to her house. And, and I've heard Andy Young talk about a number of times the constant and consistent threat of death that they and Dr. King all lived under. But if they could persevere and work through those things and somehow change America by the passage of the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act and public accommodations, if they could work through all of those difficulties with no email, with no fax machine, with no cell phone, with no Twitter, with no Instagram, with no bowler wrap, if they could do those things then, surely we can rise to the occasion now. And that's what our work is focused on. That's what you do every day, Dove. That's what RAP Technologies under Tom's leadership is advocating for. We can and will get through this moment if we turn to each other and if we work collaboratively, which is why this conversation is so wonderful to me. We all must get engaged. We all must get involved. We've got to tell the story of how we move from this place to the next place. And we will do so despite the evils of, of corporate dollars in our national politics and in our national culture. You know, I, I love what you're saying there and I agree with it. I am, as I, as I told you, I was inspired by Dr. King. Um, I remember being 10 years old, walking into the living room and seeing my mom cry. And uh, I, was, I was born in poverty in, in a ghetto in the UK. Uh, my mom, uh, we are Jewish by birth. Um, so walking into the living room, seeing my mom crying and saying, what are you crying for? And she points at the TV and said, he's dead. And I look mm -hmm. at the TV screen and it's not a, it's not a soccer player. It's not a, it's not a TV star. It's not uh, anybody I recognize. And then I listen and I hear, I have a dream. As my mom's wiping away her tears. And I start to listen and I'm moved by that. that the, but what hit me even more was that a, excuse me, but I'm just going to say this in the way that I thought of it as a 10 year old, that a black man on the other side of the world, because that's what it was to me, of another faith was, had moved my poor Jewish mother to tears was profound for mm -hmm. me. That that message was so important that it made my mom cry in England, in poverty, on the other side of the world, we had lots of black friends. We had lots of people who were all kinds of colors. And we used all kinds of racist terms with actually with, with, um, with, with love, with playfulness. Endearment. And we were called those names too, with love and playfulness. Because I think that's part of the, part of the issue that I want to come to a little bit later, which is the PC problem. Um, because we don't look at intent. We, look at, we don't look at love. We don't look at compassion. You know, my mates used to call me a tight ass Jew. And I was like, yeah, okay. It was never a problem. You know, my mates were not African-American or African-British or Jamaican-British. They were other names and nobody was offended because it was done with love. And I think we've forgotten that part of the humanity that you were talking about. And I really want to encourage people to come back to that humanity. It's what Tom talked about right at the very beginning of the show, that we've got to come back to the humanity but at the same time, the other piece of it is this wariness. And I get what you were saying, Absolutely. Reverend, and I agree with it. But there is a wariness. When my wife says, you know, that 
you know, she just breaks down in, ex in exhaustion at watching this, this thing that went on years and years ago with the Chicago seven and saying, it's the same shit dove. It's still going on. Uh, these people are still being murdered in the streets. They're still not being heard. Like, how do you, I, I'm asking you specifically, Reverend, how do you keep the faith of the people who are with you when they did, some of them are old enough that, that you know, that they did and certainly uh, maybe were my age and remember um, Dr. King and they watch what happened with the civil rights movement, which people forget is the summer of love. That's what people called it. It was the same yeah. year. The summer of love was the, also the civil rights movement. There was hippies in San Francisco and there was beatings in, in the South. How do you help them to say, this is going to change because they're looking and going, you know what, mate, uh, we're 60 years in, it ain't changed. We're, you know, this is the same nonsense and the same superficial changes have taken place, but really nothing's changed. And now with the, the courts, it might get even worse. How, well, how of, do you inspire that? How do you bring one that up? Of, one of the things that you have to do is help people to see that there has been tremendous progress that has been made. Are we where we want to be? Are we where we should be with racial race relations and social justice and equity in America? Absolutely not. But 400 years of organized oppression, slavery, Jim Crow, et cetera, will not be overcome in four decades of, of uh, public accommodations and the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. So a large part of the unfinished work of the civil rights movement that passed public policy is for us now to move and shift into public culture. Dr. King's motto, in the civil rights movement was redeeming the soul of America. It wasn't the passage of law. It was redeeming the soul of America. That was what was the key and critical driving force of the civil rights movement. And that's what we need in America today. We, our soul as a nation needs to be renewed and revived and redeemed. And I think what we see in riots uh, Dr. King said riots are the voice or the language of the unheard. What we're yeah. seeing is this restlessness that I'm talking about. People feeling like they don't have options, that they've been victimized, generationally exactly. speaking. I, I can tell you, I am... Uh, I'm a, I'm a well-known person in our community. I'm on TV and in the media all the time. Uh, and still in the city of Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I live, if a law enforcement professional gets behind my car, I have a nice vehicle. If they get behind me, there's a certain degree of anxiety and trepidation right. that I feel. And I have every police chief and sheriff's phone number, cell phone number in my phone. And, and I carry a considerable amount of influence. But in that moment, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have, what you know, or the degree of influence that you can call upon, because there's something 
thing about the history of our nation and the culture in America that we have not addressed. We've dealt with legislation, which is why, why so many people are talking about the need for simple policy and procedural reforms when it comes to policing in America. My greatest advocacy and my, my focus in this moment is not just on policy and procedure, because frankly, it wasn't public policy that killed George Floyd. The officer that killed George Floyd in Minneapolis violated the department's policy and procedure. It was not a policy issue. It was a culture issue. He did not see George Floyd with the kind of humanity that was that would be required for him to take his knee off of George Floyd's neck. What we have to deal with is the public culture, the narrative, the humanity aspect of all of these issues. And that's what I try to do in all of my sermons and lectures and speeches to corporate and business and government and all kinds of groups across this country is call us to a centeredness that, listen, we're not where we want to be. We've not reached what Dr. King referred to as a promised land, but we're not as bad as we were. At least we have access on, on some levels to education equitably. At least we can sit and ride together. We've come a long way, for God's sake. We, America, elected an African-American to be president, and we very well may elect an African-American or a woman of color to be vice president. We're not where we should be. We're not where we want to be, but thank God we're not where we were. And every, every generation must continue to strive for freedom and justice and equality and equity across the board. That's where we've got to continue to keep people inspired. And that's what we try to do. And I appreciate that. I recognize that, that we are not where we were and that we are very much not where we need to be. But there's, there is still clearly systemic racism in the Absolutely. context of, I mean, we've still got gerrymandering that's insane. Uh, we've got voter repression, which is loony. I mean, this, <clears throat> you know, and when I, listen, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a business person, and I look at the riots and I go, I feel for the people whose stores, you know, not the big stores with a massive amount of insurance, but the small businesses that are Absolutely. destroyed um, in, in the wake of this. But I do understand, uh, uh, as the saying goes, when people speak and you don't listen, they'll shout. And when you shout and they don't listen, they will become violent. They have, you know, human condition is we need to be heard. And when we've got gerrymandering and we've got all these things that are repressing and suppressing people of color not just not just african-american but you know all of them and now we're seeing violence against asian people on the rise you know this is <clears throat> it it's easy for people and this is why i'm saying this it's easy for people to see that there is this is beyond recovery i don't believe it is <clears throat> but it's easy for people to see that and there is a lot of talk about the brink of a, quote, civil war in America that's not uh, race-based, uh, but is, is often left and right-based. And you've got a lot of uh, white people who are, uh, uh, we can come to it in a bit, but they seem to be carrying white shame and, and, and you know, that 
most of my black friends are quite irritated by them. <laughs> they actually find them annoying because they're Karens. I think that's the term. Uh, rather than actually giving, really caring. I, I want to inspire. I get what you're saying. I very much want to inspire people to say, yeah, we're making progress. But when you keep getting punched, you know, even Rocky eventually has to go, you know, all right, time to lie down here because this is just enough. Well, is I, I, is I, bowler rap is bowler rap the is it can it make it can it make a big enough shift is it guess is my question it can make it certainly can make a, a a huge contribution because of the psychology behind it as as tom yes. talked about earlier uh, we have to help law enforcement professionals and local communities to understand that their first option should not be, certainly not their only option, but their first option should not be to pull a deadly weapon and point it at someone because of the impacts and the implications across the board. But I, I listen, I, I agree with you. I recognize for God's sake, I have been at the forefront of civil and human rights advocacy for more than two decades. I've led some of the largest protests and demonstrations. I've been to jail advocating for justice and equality. But at this point in time in history, I have learned that there is more that unites people together than there is that divides them. The humanity that I continue to see in persons across the board. I have conversations with people all over this country and around the world who are concerned about these issues and they want to do something about it. But we cannot decry or fight our way in terms of fighting one another. We can't decry our way to a more just and equitable America that weeds out as an in, and is intentional about dealing with and addressing uh, institutional and systematic racism. We've got to work our way and we have to turn to each other. The, the mantra, and I keep going back to this because of your uh, affinity and my affiliation with Dr. King and the King legacy, uh, during the civil rights movement, their message was not that uh, Negroes, as we were called then, or Black people would overcome. The message was Black and white together, yeah. we shall overcome. The yeah. idea is that what hurts one of us or affects one of us directly ultimately affects all of us indirectly, which is why you're absolutely right. White Americans and Asian Americans and Jewish Americans and Muslim Americans and African Americans have to turn to each other. We have to work our way through these challenges and it is in all of our interests to do so. And what I'm inspired by is the unfortunate tragic death of George Floyd has caused white Americans to see things very differently. I think seeing the imagery of the knee on George Floyd's neck and George begging and pleading for his life is the thing that has shifted a lot of consciousness in people. So I think what we have to do is continue to have these conversations, to continue to have these discussions in every community and in every corridor while we work towards more fair and equitable public policies and leverage our private partnerships like with Bowler Wrap to continue to put forth technology and options and resources that push us closer to what Dr. King called the promised land. Yeah, it, it's, it, 
very interesting what you just said there because that return to humanity is without doubt the most important thing that we've all got to get to and tom uh, as we come towards the end of this particular part of the show uh, uh what do you feel like is the you know because we talked about money in politics and and the, that's influenced a lot of things but you know you and i also live in the corporate world and the corporate world is you know you have a bottom line you got to make profit or else the business doesn't exist um, at the same time, what do you feel is like the responsibility at the corporate level of making the difference of bringing back humanity? Because I know, for instance, when coronavirus kicked in and there was a pandemic and it was announced, a lot of the um, DNI diversity and inclusion departments were, oh, well, we'll get rid of that. Let's, let's make the cutback on that. And then George Floyd happened and suddenly like, oh, my God, let, let's get all the diversity back. Right? Suddenly, you know, it, it's a corporate freak out because this can affect the bottom line. And, and it often feels to me a bit dirty because it feels like, yeah, you're doing inclusion, but you really don't give a crap. You really care about the, how it looks to the spin, for the spin doctors. What's your thoughts on it, Tom, from a corporate point of view? Well, you know, there's a reason uh, that the faith-based communities are key because, uh, and, and I haven't even talked to the revenue about this, but we, we as human beings, one of, you know, we're not perfect and we make sins. And who do we go to to resolve and help work through those sins? We go to our reverends and we have that conversation. My wife. So go to my wife, in my case. <laughs> conversation probably with a reverend, right? Because that, you know, it's, it's just, that's someplace, you know, is a safe place to go. Yeah. Police. You, when I grew up, you can go talk to a police officer. It was a safe place to go for help. That. Yes. And we also didn't put them on the spot to be judge and jury. That's what the courts are for, to your point, court reform. We have to go back and look at this. We, sh we shouldn't be putting the police in the position of being judge and jury, and the, the, but that's what it's become. We also shouldn't be putting the place where uh, it, the justice system isn't changing. Or when you and I talked earlier, at the political level, nothing's happened. I mean, because we're in election year and those people are worried about being reelected rather than doing what's right for the people in the country. So from a corporate perspective, yes, I have to have profits. I have to be, or we wouldn't be here. But I also, it's an unlikely pairing that I'm going to be going with Reverend Markle and have a conversation, but it's the right thing to do. And it must be done because to your point, not one person can do it alone. And I'm, a, I'm optimistic, we, you know, uh, Reverend Markle said, we elected uh, Barack Obama. So we've seen hopes of we know we can get there. So we have to keep doing it and we have to keep doing our part to contribute to this. So yes, I have to be able to, to sell. I've obviously worked very closely with police, but at the same time, I have to work with Reverend, with the community groups, uh, be a part of the conversation because too many people will just like to sit back and point at all the problems and that's the, you know, the riding, looting, they want to be heard, but we need to get action for those and the solutions. And that's what RAP's doing. That's what Reverend Markle's doing. And so we're reaching out to those groups and we're reaching out to the community groups, the faith-based groups, the politicians, the elected officials, because all of them are going to have to come at some point to the table and be involved in this to get it to solve in a community. And so we're Obviously, we're talking about you know a local local situation right now in Philadelphia. But when you look at what the Reverend pulled together with law enforcement all across this country, and people posting the photos on Facebooks of of a police department doing a bake sale with 
with a uh, underprivileged school or all the different activities that they help put together unprecedented in our times. That's why I absolutely am compelled and to be involved in this. I wanna be helping solve the problems because too many people just like to talk about the problems and not solve the problems. And that's, yeah. I believe a part of our corporate responsibility is to be involved in that because we can make a difference by bringing a tool or bringing a discussion or bringing a technology that's going to change the, the scenario that if it's not there, it's not gonna change no matter how much people are screaming and yelling. If, they, if yeah. you don't give training, if you don't give tools, if you don't change the conversation, it's not gonna happen. So it is tireless and we have a long way to go, but it's rolling up our sleeves to quote Reverend, doing the work, you know, we've done the protest and we've done the marching, which probably is going to continue. We need it to be peaceful, but we have to roll up our sleeves. We have to do the work. Corporate has to be involved. Politicians, everybody's got to be involved. And there's a lot of, there's plenty of work for everybody, as you said. Yes. Yeah. You do this alone, you're going to be worn out and it has to be generational. You know, it's because of Dr. King, that Barack Obama in his work that Barack Obama made the White House. So it can happen, but it's got to happen far and wide and it can never stop work, right? We're never gonna be perfect. So we know we have to keep working on it. I'm working on it, Reverend works on it, you're working on it, Doug. We're all doing our part and it cannot stop and it should not stop and it's not going to stop. Whether this election uh, you know, coming up, it's still gonna be there. We can't yeah. just say, oh, the election's over. This is something we, we cannot let go out of people's minds. And that's and a, very, I, good, that's I, a I, very good I, point. I want to jump in there with regard to the corporate community. One of the one of the things that has been somewhat disappointing to me is that the corporate community, largely across the country, and and particularly major corporations, have taken a very reactionary approach, just funding and throwing dollars and resources at things that may not be actually solutions oriented. Uh, mm. I, I continue to challenge corporate leaders to think more nuanced about how you place your resources, the kinds of things that you associate and involve yourself with as a company. So it's one thing for a corporation to put out a commercial that says Black Lives Matter, but the, the more challenging and I think the more effective thing for those corporate leaders or corporate uh, entities to do is actually get engaged with local communities and show that not only in word, but indeed Black Lives Matter to you or any other lives matter to you, that law enforcement matters to you for that, for that, uh, uh, for that, um, for that matter. So on my view, the corporate and business community has got to step up in a more substantive way, not just in a reactionary way. When we did Faith in Blue Weekend, what we were able to do is hold 1,000 community-based events in 45 of the 50 states plus the, the Washington, D.C., where law enforcement professionals actually started to build bonds with the people that they're policing. One of the most powerful photos that we have from Faith in Blue Weekend that you can see at faithinblue.org, some of those photos around the country, is the police officers in a police department in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, 
went into an impoverished community with one of their faith-based partners and built a Habitat for Humanity home. And you could see people from the neighborhood coming up to meet the law enforcement professionals that were helping to build this house for this low-income family in this low-income community. What that does to shift the mindset of the police officer and the community residents cannot be overstated. So what, what, what I'm saying is uh, more companies need to step up the way that uh, RAP Technologies and Bowler RAP have stepped up, the way that some of our partners like AT&T or FirstNet built with AT&T, Motorola Solutions and others, but there are a bunch of companies out there that are simply throwing money at causes uh, around protests without actually addressing yes. the substance and how do we actually move the needle forward. I've said this, I, I wrote a, an op-ed recently for the Boston Globe, and one of the things that I said in the Boston and gold piece was we cannot decry our way to a more equitable and fair criminal justice system or a decrease in systematic or institutional racism. We've got to work our way. And the way that we work our way into uh, a more fairer and more just America is we've got to work collaboratively. Law enforcement, corporate, business, uh, government, political sector, faith-based, civic organizations, everybody coming to what Dr. King called tables of brotherhood and sisterhood to figure out pathways forward, not only at the national level, but as we've discussed over and over during this podcast in local communities and in local neighborhoods, because they have the answers to the problems that we face. We've got to finish up this section of the show and we'll come back to part three in a moment. Uh, because I want to talk more about what drove the National Faith and Blue Weekend. Um, and, of course, uh, the importance of getting away from the rhetoric and into the real action. Uh, you've been listening so far and watching so far. Uh, I Me mean, with my guest, which is the Reverend Markle Hutchins. He is a noted minister and social justice advocate. And also, uh, we're here with Tom Smith, who is the co-founder of Taser, but is now the president of RAP Technologies, which is helping to develop a technology and actually get it out there, scale it out there, which is a remote restraining device for law enforcement that is non-pain based. We're going to be back in a moment. This is a fascinating conversation. There's a lot more to get into. We want to talk a lot more about what we can all do starting right now. We'll be back. I'll see you in part three. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious.